Ladies and gentlemen, from Los Angeles, California, the Doors! Hello and welcome to Opening the Doors, a podcast dedicated to the greatest American rock band ever, The Doors. I'm your host, Bradley Netherton. I'll just start by telling you a little bit about myself and why I started this podcast uh, years ago that Mojo Magazine and The Doors hosted a contest to determine the world's most knowledgeable Doors fan. I was selected among the million or so people who competed in that, and I was chosen in the final five, I think, and then I ended up going on to win that. It looks like Bradley. Bradley got that one. Uh, waiting for the sun? Correct. For Bradley, once again. Uh, not to touch the earth? Correct. So Bradley get it up first. It was Boston in April 1970. It was the late show. Yes. Yeah, I'd say that's close enough. <laughs> Bradley. Uh, July of 68. Correct. Yeah. All right, Bradley for the steal. Hello, I love you. Go insane. My eyes have seen you. Uh, Moonlight Drive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The official final tally with the breakdown between our regular questions and our bonus questions is Joe with 750, Eric with 200, Paul with negative 100, Bradley with 1300 oh wow and Marcy with 700 well done everybody that means Yay. our winner is Mr. Bradley Netherton from Alabama congratulations man and I say all that to obviously say I'm, I don't do not consider myself the world's most knowledgeable Doors fan there's people out there like uh, Logan at the Mild Equator Reed Berkman uh, from the Dirty Doors that I know and a lot of people in the mild equator group in general that I that I feel, you know, definitely have a knowledge that is far vaster than mine on the topic. But uh, I, I've always been a fan of the Doors, and I've always wanted to, I, I guess, create something like a, a. I grew up listening to some of the Casey Kasem stuff, the Countdown stuff, or some of the extended stuff that he used to do and talk about bands and go through the careers. And I wanted something like that for the Doors. And I feel like this is the best outlet to do it. And I want to bring people in who wants to talk about it. Uh, any, anybody who has an experience or something to get it down on tape, which I guess it's not technically tape anymore. But that's what I wanted to do because the Doors are an important band. Jim Morrison's important to pop culture, definitely. But even the band as a whole, the first American rock band to have eight consecutive gold records. You know, they've sold 100, I think around 100 million records. They're above Foreigner in Chicago as far as record sales. I mean, there's plenty of people above them, but... Definitely interesting for a band who's had six, uh, with Jim Morrison, had six, only six studio albums. You know, not not really a large vein to pull from, and the fact that they sold as many records as they did in the time that they did. If you look at the somebody like the Beatles, you know, you compare the Doors, who sold 100 million records to, you know, I know the Beatles are considered one of the top artists, and the Beatles are in that 250 million range. If you think about it from the perspective of they had over double the amount of studio albums. I think they had 13 albums they released. And so they sold 250 million per, you know, out of those 13 albums. On top of that, I'm sure they got a lot of sales from like anthology. They've had a lot, they have all of their back catalog stuff where the doors had six studio albums. They had some live recordings uh, that they, that they ended up releasing. And, and we've got through the bright midnight archives, a lot of stuff like that. And the doors also lost all of their, or a majority of their outtakes of all their stuff. The Electra records, I think, uh, We've talked about this on the forums before, but the vaults were pretty much thrown out. The only thing really saved was anything that was scalvaged out of dumpsters and stuff that people got out. 
And we all know the ta- the story of the infamous New Orleans tape. Supposedly that was a, there's a soundboard according to that. But when you compare the likes of the Doors to their contemporaries like Hendrix, like the Beatles, the Doors, as far as material goes, are not as, you know, there's not as many great, uh, you know, live recordings. Uh, Hendrix, he had he had less studio albums. He had three studio albums he released, but he there is a lot. There are a lot of um, great quality bootlegs. There are a lot of um, official releases through uh, Dagger Records. They've they've done a lot of stuff to preserve his legacy and stuff like that because there is more material. More people recorded his concerts in better quality, and we even have Hendrix's last concert at the Isle of Fairmarn, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. We have his last concert, so we do have that documented as well. So it's interesting to see how, and maybe that's just a testament itself to the band and their staying power. Whereas Hendrix, I think, Hendrix influenced a lot of the mainstream guitarists and stuff, and the Beatles influenced mainstream pop. The interesting thing about The Doors is they inspired a lot of the underground stuff, a lot of the punk scene, you know. The Iggy Pops, the Cramps, this you know stuff like that, who are now you know interesting enough. A lot of these, a lot of this music is being used in in TV shows. One of the most recent in, uh, things that I've watched uh, Wednesday, based on the Adams Family, had a song from the Cramps in it and sort of revitalized them. But their music's not as popular until something makes it more popular. I guess the, in the pop culture, and I'm and I'm sure the uh, Oliver Stone movie did that for the Doors to an extent. And that's one of the things I posted. I wanted to see what people's experience were with the band. And one of the things I noticed is that there's different um, there's different camps. Like some people came to them through the movie. And some people came through them from the original, from that 85 or uh, from the 85 Greatest Hits CD. Some of them came came through the American, you know, an American prayer. And, and, I, and I think anyway, uh, any way you come to find music is valid. I know a lot of people talk bad about the the uh, the Oliver Stone movie and but but as a kid that was one of the things I watched a lot and that's one of the things that got me in the, into the mystique of the group and later on I did learn that a lot of the stuff in it was false but it didn't take away from the experience I had watching it and the intrigue I had that it created because I don't see I mean we can definitely be critical about things but I don't see a benefit in trashing something that somebody else enjoys if it got them to the same place that we are, if that makes sense. So, be, and, and, you know, I know, I know another thing I heard, no one here gets out alive. The, uh, the infamous, uh, you know, Danny Sugarman and, and Jerry Hopkins book that gets maligned and, and I've seen maligned and, you know, going back to my childhood, we had a buffet or whatever you want to call it. It was basically a, this little thing with drawers. We'd you know set just knickknacks and stuff, keys and stuff, whatever we, before you left. But in the drawer of it, for some random reason was, there's not any books in there except for an old copy of No One Here Gets Out Alive. And that was before I ever realized who the Doors were, or even knew anything about them. But I say all that just to say that everybody comes to the Doors or to any any medium through their own way. And I don't know if gatekeeping is the right way to do it. And that's one thing I want to do with this podcast. I want to bring, try to bring the community together to, you know, talk about things that we enjoy, talk about things that create a through line. Because... I guarantee there's a lot of fans of the Doors who don't know about a lot of the, you know, who who aren't as familiar with the band, who who maybe have missed out on some of these great bootlegs that have happened over the that have that have came out through however you got them tape trading, uh, the Doors collector magazines, or I remember Doors.com was real big 
early 2000s and you could even buy like pay like 100 bucks get a domain name for doors.com uh, and that was such a fun site to peruse and I remember going to that site and just being fascinated and and just looking through the stuff you could buy on there the old doors collectors magazines that were on there and seeing another there was also you know even later on after that discogs and in the forums where you could torrent uh, and this is probably after some people's time but you could torrent different bootlegs and there was a whole site dedicated to getting artwork and they had the the that doors collector magazine sort of uh artwork that they did and you can make your own and stuff i remember making my own bootlegs for some of the stuff that i couldn't find if they if it didn't have any artwork i would make my own artwork and sort of i've ended up putting that on like a zoom i think that i would keep around with me and i had so much doors music that i I ended up filling up the entire hard drive of our, of our, of my parents' computer with just, I think I had Hendrix, The Doors, and I think I had all the Beatles, you know, stuff, but The Doors, I think, took up a majority of it because I had every Doors bootleg on the hard drive, and then once you combine that with the files to download it, and the, it ended up being a lot, so I, I say all that to say that people come to it by different means, and the way that I came to The Doors when I first, um, when I first took that journey through the door, you know, pun intended there, we were at a, my grandmother was buying a, a chest of drawers at this place, or maybe it was more like a, a sort of chest of drawers with, I guess it was really more of a wardrobe is what you'd call it. She had this wardrobe that she had to pick up from this local place. She didn't have anything way to pick it up. So me and my mom went in my dad's truck and we went to go do this. This is probably mid two thousands. And we went and she, we looked around and in an antique store at that time, I really didn't have a lot of interests, you know, as a, uh, preteen or I think I was probably, uh, yeah, I was probably 10 or 11 or so. I didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot, there wasn't a lot that caught my eye there. I didn't appreciate things as I do now, I, I would say, but I remember going to this one particular bin of CDs and they had a bunch of CDs to choose from. They were like five bucks a piece, which even then I think was probably overpriced for what they were charging. But they had five bucks for CDs, and I, and I sort of flipped through them, and I remember seeing, uh, you know, Janis Joplin's greatest hits, or I think I saw something from Chicago. And I remember seeing the album covers and, you know, not really finding anything. And my mom's about to check out at this point because the CDs were at the closer, closer to the front of the store. But I remember... I picked up, it was the 85 Greatest Hit CD, I believe. It was the uh, from the line, you know, the uh, Young Line shoot that he did, you know, arms outstretched, the the black and white cover. And um, I remember picking up the CD, and, and, and I, you know, my mom was like, and I went to my mom and said, hey, I really want this. And she, you know, she was like, well, okay. And then she, I mean, she didn't really think anything of it. At this point, I'd already listened to Hendrix a bit. I think he was really the first artist I found on my own that after, because I grew up listening to a lot of uh, bluegrass country, uh, older country, you know, the Hank Williams, um, a lot of the the earlier bluegrass, Jim and Jesse, who ironically I would find had a Doris tie later with the Running Blues song that, they, that I think Paul Rothschild uh, flew them out for. And I talked to Robbie about that a little bit. Robbie, yeah, for soft parade, you flew in uh, Jim from Jim and Jesse to to pick the mandolin, and I was wondering, did you? And uh, you wrote Running Blues. Did you enjoy bluegrass? Did you listen to bluegrass? Any? Um, you know, I did uh, 
when I was younger, but I had I didn't really know who Jim and Jesse were. That was uh, uh, Paul Rothschild's idea. Okay. And uh, yeah, they were great. They they came out and one played the fiddle and one played the uh, banjo. I mean the mandolin. Uh, very cool. Um, during the competition, but I ended up getting that CD. I took it home. We had the old this old uh, you know. It was definitely post Windows ninety eight, but it wasn't any. It wasn't a brand new computer. It was probably you know Windows two thousand or something that I ended up trying to load the CD on, and it was really scratched up, and I couldn't get it to load. I couldn't. It wouldn't work in the even in the computer. I tried to get it in the CD player. It definitely wouldn't work in the CD player. I tried to get it in the computer. Wouldn't work. So I used it. I looked it up. You know, old dial up internet. Looked it up. Tried to get it fixed. Ended up using toothpaste, some masking tape on the back because some of the scratches were through to the top. And um, because I really couldn't, where we lived, we couldn't really stream anything. I didn't even really think think that that was a thing then for me. I definitely probably was. So I finally got it to work enough to play the, some of the songs didn't work, but I remember the first song I heard from that album was when the music's over. And it resonated with me in a way that nothing else ever had and it it really uh i know that sort of maybe sounds corny or whatever you want but it really struck a nerve with me and i was hooked ever ever since that that first little bit and and even though the quality it's sort of weird looking back now because there was due to the scratches there was like a lot of like clicking and stuff in it i'm sure that uh Anybody who's got a worn-out vinyl probably has some worse horror stories than that. But there was a lot of uh, of digital deterioration that you could hear in the in the file itself. But I loved it, and uh, I, then I remember that you know maybe a couple of years after that, I remember buying the. I found I, I we used my grandma used to go to Walmart a lot, shop at Walmart, and I'd go with her, and I found the Boston show, and it had an explicit warning on it. At, at that point, I hadn't ever really heard. The Doors uh, live stuff. I'd only heard that CD, and then I ended up getting the, um, let's see, did I get the Perception box set? I ended up getting the Perception box set from FYE somewhere along this time. But I ended up getting that Boston show, but before I, I would I would go to the store, they only had a couple copies. I think they might have had two copies or something. I, and it was back when you know, Walmart had an expensive CD section. I would go every day, and I would look at it, and I'd read the back, and I'd see the tracks. And you know, I, was, I was really intrigued, really interested in the whole thing. And I ended up one day, I, I was going to ask my grandma for it. Cause, you know, I would, I'd sort of wander off. She'd go get groceries. So I, I picked the, the sticker, the explicit sticker off of it. Cause it wasn't, it was just on the, on the uh, cellophane on the outside, picked it off. I got my grandma to, you know, give it to me, get it for me. And I, I remember taking that home and being absolutely mesmerized by the packaging, by the whole presentation. And then by the concerts itself, they're still two of my favorite, you know, favorite performances ever, probably for sentimental reasons. Another thing I remember, maybe in between this time, no, no, it's probably after this. It had to be after this. We went to the beach one year, Gulf Shores, um, near, which is about five hours south of where I live. And they had, I went to this sort of, you know, you've seen those hippie-ish stores with the, they sell the incense, they sell the burners, they sell the uh, tie-dye stuff, you know, stuff like that. Well, this one had all this stuff, and they had some, I, I don't know if they were CDs or, 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 you know, they'd got them uncirculated or something, but they were definitely things that had been taken off shelves or uncirculated or something. And I found that the, the Black Doors box set, you know, with the 
And on the inside, it had that big brown sort of uh, textured book that you could flip through. It had a lot of sort of short snippets of interviews for every, you know, for every single track. That was the first time I heard the Miami show. And so I heard a little bit of that Miami track. I heard some of the stuff. And in, from there, man, it, it just grew and grew. I started, that's when the whole looking for bootlegs happened. And, you know, eventually, um, before I knew it, I was, you know, that, that consumed a lot of who I was and what I did. Yeah, that, that, that was my journey to come to the doors. And I think, you know, you may think, what can you expect listening to this podcast? And, and with this podcast, I want to bring you interesting information that even some of the more well-known Doors fans may not know because it's not necessarily going to be Doors things. It's going to be like um, the, the background of certain things, uh, maybe some surrounding events that especially people who are younger may not may not have been aware of if they're just looking into the history itself of the, just the band. And we're going to talk about everything. We're talking about the, the you know the well known stuff, the Miami incident. We're going to talk about you know the the boot you know all the bootlegs. Eventually, we're going to talk about you know e- even things like the Blue Lady. <laughs> you know, I, I just want to talk about whatever piques my interest and whatever piques your guys' interests. And if you have any topics, you can definitely send those to me. Um, the next episode, I'll include some some stuff. Some email. I think you, you can actually. I got a Gmail running right now. You can send. Uh, opening the doors pod at gmail.com. You can send me any topics, any if you want to, you know, contribute to this. Anything you want to do, just send it to opening the doors pod, opening the doors pod at gmail.com. I'll get all that information and uh, and I'll try to uh, bake that into an episode. I have a Twitter as well. The Twitter is at the doors pod at the doors pod. So just look for that anywhere you got Twitter. I have I'm following one person. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really, I'm, I have just created the account, but that is another good way. If you want to at me there, if anything you want to say, any stories, any bits, special thanks to Logan Jansen from the mild equator site. He has been so crucial in helping me you know, along the way, uh, whether he knew it or not, you know, even with the site, uh, I remember finding mild equator had to have been in high school. And I ended up buying a, a used copy of The Doors on the Road, and I thought that was like the that was my my Bible of The Doors. You know, I carried that thing with me. <laughs> the pages are really yellow now, and I, and I, I you know I can only imagine who the person had it before me. There were already stains on it when I got it, but I, I ended up finding the cheapest copy off Amazon I could get because it was already a, a pretty expensive book then. I, I'm not sure how much it is now, but I, I got it for Christmas one year. And I care, and, and there were a couple things you could always find on me. And uh, on the road, the the book was always with me. Yeah, and eventually, I got to the point where I thought some of this information. I've, after reading some of the, there were some forums up back in the day, and then after that, I sort of saw that hey, some of this information is not a hundred percent accurate. Some of this information needs updated. So, you know, how do I go about finding this information? And then one thing led to another, and eventually, I found the Mild Equator, uh, MildEquator dot com, and it, it, it opened. I'm just going to lean wholeheartedly into this. It opened the doors for me about the band. It's like if Alice fell into the rabbit hole and then she found another one and fell into another one inside the other rabbit hole. It was it was a game changer. And all the work that he's done, uh, I think Chris is the other guy who helps him with the side. They're, they're both invaluable pieces to the community. But that side has is, is just really helped my fandom and... Uh, 
Can't say enough about it. And if things work out, maybe one day I can get him on. I know he doesn't have a lot of time, but he has helped me just just uh, immeasurably with everything. So thank you again, Logan and everybody. Yeah, that that's the that's basically the intro to this podcast. I'm actually recording this on December sixth, but I hope to have this up uploaded on December eighth by Jim's birthday. But it is December sixth today. The Doors played the Smother Brother the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. And they did Wild Child and Touch Me, and a, a great rendition of Touch Me. I actually used that rendition for a project I had in college. Actually, around the same time I was working on um, trying to be a member or trying to do the, uh, I was still competing in the middle of the class. I would have to pull Twitter out when I saw the Doors tweet. I'd have to tweet at them to try to enter their uh, being in the top five for the contest for the World Series of Trivia. But I actually used that version of Touch Me for a uh, project in English, in the music class that I had to do. So, um, but yeah, I'm recording this in Jim's birthday is December 8th. And if everything goes to plan, I can do that. I have another guest lined up with me. Um, we've been talking back and forth about the warehouse show in new Orleans and hopefully by December 12th, we will have that out, but I'm recording this today to hope to get it out, to hope to get the word out, to get, see if there's interest. And then I'm going to have the full pod, you know, the new Orleans show will have a full pod of dedication and it's going to be my first episode, and I reserve the right if there's new information come out, and I'm sure there will be. Hopefully, hopefully this recording is legit that, that that has been circulating supposedly for years, or actually I should say that has been uncirculated for years, but the rumor has been circulating for years. Hopefully that this this is a real recording, and hopefully one day we have it. I know we've been talking about it a long time, and that's one of the things that got sort of started up online is how long has this been around, and but, I'll, but you can listen to how I cover that, and then you can really make your decision on whether you want to hang around for the journey or not. And if you don't, you know, by all means, I understand. But if you do, I, I really hope this is something special for you, and I hope you can uh, contribute in any way you can. I've gave you the information to do that, so uh, be sure to you know find me on Twitter, find me on Gmail. And I guess I'll just leave you with the most famous quote probably associated with the band. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is. Amen.